Waltz is going to come up and lead us in some hymns of praise. Good morning, everybody. Let's see, number 129 in your hymnal should be. Yes, 129. At the cross, if you would all stand up with us. have it up on the board for you there in just a moment, but it's 129 in your hymnal at the cross. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. There we go, we got it up on the board. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the The cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glory. the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. I give myself away, tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled there by faith I receive my sight and now I am happy all the day all right amen you all can be seated for just a minute we're going to have some announcements and then of course I'll have you stand back up and we'll do some more singing I would ask who you like better, me or Josh, after that statement, but that wouldn't be fair, would it? I want to thank you all for being here today and welcome all of you to the services of Grace Church at Franklin. And if there's any first-time visitors here with us that did not get an opportunity to sign the register, we ask that you would do so as you exit, that we might have a record of your attendance. 
Today, this is the part of the service where we would mention some prayer requests and ask that as you, the Lord calls them to your mind, that you would lift them up before him. I got a call this morning from Calvin LaPetri that Judy had another episode uh, yesterday morning where she passed out and stopped breathing again. Um, he did mouth-to-mouth resuscitation until she was able to breathe on her own, and then she began throwing up afterwards. And because her breathing was still labored, he called an ambulance and had her transported to St. Thomas Hospital, where she's been admitted uh, for observation. They run a numerous test yesterday, still unable to find the cause of it, and going to do some more tests today. So let's please lift up Judy LePetri. Uh, Calvin believes that she'll be better off at home. Uh, she didn't get hardly any sleep last night. As you know, she has some memory problems that have really plaguing her, and as a result, she pulled out her IV twice during the night because she just wasn't understanding why it was in her arm to begin with. So let's please remember them before the Lord. Remember Calvin, especially as he ministers to her needs every day, uh, taking good care of her to the best of his ability. So uh, we also want to give praise to the Lord for Joe and Linda Turner's grandchild, Macy, who had a successful cardiac ablation procedure this past week. She had been having a rapid heart rate, and due to a, a new procedure, they were able to do some mapping, some electrophysiology mapping to determine what was causing that problem and to, and to correct it. So we give thanks for that. She did have some nausea as a result of the, the uh, anesthesia that she was given, but she is doing well today, and we give praise to the Lord for that. We also, uh, our pastor got a good report from his doctor, but he's still having a lot of back pain, so let's lift him up before the Lord. And Lynn has also been having a lot of foot pain, so let's lift her up as well before the Lord. Uh, some of you may have um, passed by an accident that happened here uh, not far from the church this past Sunday, uh, just shortly after church. Uh, and it happened to be the uh, parents of one of my best friends, uh, uh, two, two individuals, Ed and Charlotte House, that were like mother and father to me. I grew up uh, with Eddie uh, from a young child, spent many a days over at their house, and of course they've been great uh, friends of our family and really considered family for a number of years. Uh, they were involved in an accident that sustained injuries that claimed both of their lives. and. Um, also, it uh, injured six other individuals in the accident, uh, a husband and wife and four children, all of which had multiple broken bones from the accident and were all transported to the hospital. So I ask that you remember Eddie and his wife Jenny and their extended family and the loss of his mother and father, but also this other family. I don't know what their condition is today or how they're doing, uh, but let's lift them up before the Lord that he might not only heal them uh, mentally, but or physically, but mentally as well, as, as children at a young age who suffer that kind of trauma can live with them a long time. So let's lift them up before the Lord. We also want to remember Pat Jackson. She is healing from her right shoulder, shoulder surgery that she had recently. Uh, about three months, she's going to have rotator cuff surgery on her left side. So let's remember her. And she did want to thank all of you who have provided meals for her during this time. So thank you for the ministry that you've been given to her. George Bishop uh, continues to suffer pain from the shingles virus. Uh, he's also undergoing acupuncture treatment this next Tuesday to try to relieve some of that pain, and his bladder cancer is going to be reevaluated again in May. We want to remember Evelyn Carrico, who has now had some injections in both of her knees for some pain that she's been experiencing. Uh, we want to pray for her that that might be effective to, uh, to heal her. We also want to 
Give praise to the Lord that her recent biopsies of the lesions on her back all have been reported as benign. So we certainly give praise to the Lord for that. Michelle George received some recent laboratory tests regarding her cancer that was troubling. Uh, so we want to continue to remember her. She's going to be reevaluated again in May. And she and Gary both covet your prayers on their behalf. <clears throat> we want to continue to remember Ken Humphreys, who has asked prayer for his father-in-law, who has been transferred from a hospital to a nursing home and is undergoing some physical therapy. Uh, he has uh, bad diabetes and may end up losing his leg, uh, but hopefully physical therapy would, would uh, be enough to uh, recover from what he's going through. So let's remember him before the Lord. Continue to remember Bethy, Betty Hethcock's son, Kevin, and her daughter, Larkin, before the Lord. We also remember Martina Hale, who has been put in a mental hospital, and remember her husband, David, and also for the congregation that he leads there in Lewisburg, Tennessee. Continue to remember Sue Martin's niece, Patty, who has been is being treated for aggressive lung cancer. Uh, remember me before the Lord. I, I woke up uh, last week one morning with pain in my shoulder area that I'm not sure what's going on. I, even though she denies it, I think Pam probably hit me in my sleep. But uh, nevertheless, pray for me. Um, it it uh, When I'm sitting down, I'm typically okay as long as I'm in a reclining position, but when I'm up, or sitting upright, it's, it's very difficult. So I ask your prayers on my behalf. <clears throat> we want to um, uh, have you mark your calendars for the, for the next first Sunday of the month, May the 2nd. It's going to, we're going to resume fellowship dinners here at the church. And if you are interested in participating in that, this is how it works. If you've never done that before, we ask that each family just bring a dish enough to feed their family and a few more people. That ensures that we have enough food for everybody. Uh, when you bring your food before service, you can place it in the fellowship hall. Uh, we have uh, both uh, heaters, uh, warming uh, containers, if you will, that your food can be placed in, a number of places that you can plug in crock pots if you bring something in that, as well as refrigeration if you need uh, to keep something cool. Immediately following the services, we migrate over to the fellowship hall where we participate in a meal together and fellowship with one another, and we really do have a good time. So and we encourage you, uh, if that appeals to you, to, to make plans to attend. And uh, it also, just like anything else, requires some people to help out as we have the need to not only prepare the food for the for the for the fellowship dinner, but also to clean up afterwards. So next week, Linda Foster is going to replace on the round table in the foyer the sign-ups uh, list that was used last year. And what we're going to try to do is just, if you signed up last year on a certain day, that you try to uh, uh, keep that appointment. But if for some reason you're unable to help out for any reason, or if you're unable to help out on that day, we ask that you just make note of that on the sheet. And if you can, if you're able to find somebody to take your place, that's great. Otherwise, just mark your name off the list, and we will try to have someone else sign up in your place. So thank you, uh, all of you who, who have ministered in that way to the congregation in the past, and if you're able to continue doing that as we move forward. We also um, are sad to say goodbye this morning to Tabetha, sitting up here in the second row. Tabetha is going to have to be moving uh, to East Tennessee. 
Uh, she's going to be living temporarily with her daughter until she finds more permanent housing. Uh, she's also applying for a job uh, promotion with the, with the company that she presently works with, so we want to be in prayer about that. And if she's able to get that job, it will also dictate kind of the area that she needs to live in. So let's pray for Tabitha uh, as she makes this move, certainly as she travels to East Tennessee, and for, for this job opportunity that she has. You'll truly be missed, Tabitha. So... We want to also remind you that uh, if you want to support the ministry of Grace Church, we're not passing the offering plate, but there is a box located on the foyer in the foyer on the round table. We ask that if you would uh, just put your tithes and offerings in there, and uh, we will continue to pray about how to use those funds for the ministry of the gospel and, and spreading God's word across uh, various platforms, including the internet uh, methods that our pastor has mentioned earlier today. Is there any other prayer announcements that anybody needs to mention at this time? Yes, ma'am. What kind of cancer was that? Prostate. So. So in case you didn't hear that, her cousin Anthony is going to have prostate cancer surgery on April the 26th, and they believe it's at a stage where they can get it all. So let's pray that that might be successful. Uh, it's also good to see Marie Dalton and some of her family members here. Uh, We continue to remember you all in your recent loss and, uh, and, and just glad to see you here today and what a testimony it is for you to be here. So, okay, I'm going to ask Mary. Okay, so Ruby Perry has apparently had some extensive tests done, waiting on some results. During these tests, her heart stopped for about three seconds at a time. And so let's continue to remember Ruby and certainly her husband Carl as well before the Lord. All right, Josh is going to come back and lead us in some more singing. And you'll probably have to stand. Absolutely. <laughs> you all come on and stand up now, if you will. Praise the Lord. The closer we can get to heaven, the, the more we can praise Him. That's why we stand. Right? <laughs> Number 17, come thou fount of every, every blessing. That's the wrong one up there, boys, but Mr. Larry, if you could put number 17 on there, it's come thou fount. Thank you, Mr. Larry, sir. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. 
Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope. By thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me with a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Sing this again with me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. How great is our God. We have a great God and a great King. He's seated on the throne, and so let's sing about it. How great is our God. (laughs) The splendor of a King. You'll have the words in a moment. Clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God! Sing with me, how great. Is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the the beginning and the end. The Godhead, three in one. Our Father, Spirit, and Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. 
seated as Brother Bill's going up there. There's one little song that I'm going to teach y'all sometime, and I'm going to give you a preview of it. It's very, uh, very Hebraic, very Jewish. Um, I thought, I'm trying to think of Brother, uh, Brother Sam Clark. If Brother Sam Clark was here, he would love it. Listen to this. Maybe we'll sing it sometime. Lord God Almighty, y'all clap with me. Can you clap with me? Lord God Almighty, Thou art holy, Maker of the sea and land, the universe and skies. Lord God Almighty, Thou art holy, Dwell within my heart and mind, my fingers and my eyes. Lie, 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 lie. That means praise. Y'all say that to me. Lie, 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 lie. You can all sing that with me one day. I've been wanting to give you a preview of that for a while. I like that one. Thank you, Joshua. Let's stand together, please. We're going to ask the Lord to help us this morning as we open His Holy Word and seek to learn more about Him. So join us. Father, I stretch my hand to Thee. No Oh. 
Good to see all of you today. I hope you can remain standing for just a moment, and I'm going to invite your attention to three passages of Scripture. Right now, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 42 in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 42. It's good to see all of you, and good to see some faces we haven't seen in a while because of the coronavirus, and Bob and Wendy, we're glad to see you. Also, they uh, been, you know, having a hibernate out there because of the bad weather, as well as this coronavirus, and people are slowly coming back out. I appreciate you praying for me. I don't know if I have a bad back problem or for intestinal problem, but I told somebody if I have a bad back problem, it's from leaning over trying to take care of Lynn's foot. And she has a foot problem from running after me. So we're both hobbling around. And we're thankful, I'm thankful I could be here today with you. Isaiah 42. Now, all of you know, but I say this every week, I'm going to be changing subjects, believe it or not, by 2022. But I'm teaching you on reasons for Christians to rejoice, and this is our tenth study. And the subtitle today is The Secret Behind Election. Now I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 42. This is a reverence, a reference to the coming Messiah. Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, uh, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. You can read this in Matthew's Gospel chapter 12, by the way. And the smoking flock shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not be, he shall not fail nor be discouraged until he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Those verses are repeated in the New Testament. And specifically, if you want to check Matthew chapter 12, you'll see that the New Testament is but a, an, an interpretation and a drawing out of the Old Testament. Now the second passage we're going to look at uh, is in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Our text, of course, I'll mention that in just a moment, but if you'll turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What are some of those spiritual blessings? According as He has chosen us in Him, that is in Christ. Christ is the elect servant. We are elect in Him. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in 
the beloved. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Our text, of course, that I have used for this series of studies is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 4, where Paul makes the statement, brethren, I want you to know your election of God. Paul wants the saints in the Thessalonian church to know about and to be assured of their election in Christ. And I may say that this is also my desire for you, for all of you who are here today and for all who come under the sound of my voice. My heart's desire and prayer to God for you is that you may be saved and being saved, you might know and clearly understand your election of God. Now, the words elect and election are found some 27 times in the Bible. So, this teaching is not to be hidden. It is not couched in secrecy by any means. It's not a teaching that should be covered up or passed over. And I say again, as I have said in recent studies, great damage has been done to the people of God because of neglecting this great and wonderful doctrine by pastors and teachers of the Bible. Why is that? Well, the very reasons that it's neglected are the same reasons that we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it for the same reasons that many times people neglect it or cover it up or pass it by, try to give it some other meaning and interpretation. Let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, this doctrine of election puts the Lord in total control of salvation. And by nature, men and women want to be in control. If you're driving with me in the car and you're driving, I'm watching the road very carefully. If I'm driving, I'm totally relaxed. Why? Because I'm in control. But if you're in control, I'm watching the road. You understand what I'm saying? And that's the way it is in life. By nature, by nature, we like to be in control. But here's what I want you to know. You may single out any person in the Bible any person from Adam mentioned in the book of Genesis to John who wrote the book of Revelation, and you will find that all of them say that they had nothing to do with their salvation. For example, who was responsible for the salvation of Jonah when he was swallowed by the great fish and found himself in the bottom of the ocean? Well, the Bible tells us, and you might remember this when we studied the book of Jonah, it was the Lord who sent a fish to swallow Jonah. It was the Lord who caused the fish to vomit Jonah up. And so I ask, when you look at that narrative, can you find any room in that narrative for the will of Jonah? Yes, you can. I'll tell you what it is. Jonah did the running and the Lord did the catching. The Lord called him to preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach to Nineveh. He ran in the opposite direction. He got on a boat. He took a trip. He thought he'd get away from the Lord. And the Lord just sent a fish 
and raised up a storm. And when they threw Jonah overboard, the fish just happened at that particular time. He was just an unlucky man, wasn't he? At that particular time, opened his mouth and swallowed him up. And they went to the bottom of the ocean. And the Bible indicates that he may have died because the Lord Jesus Christ used Jonah as the example of his own resurrection. When they asked the Lord Jesus, what sign did you give us that you're Messiah? He said, there shall no sign be given to an adulterous and sinful generation but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. Jonah, if you ask him, how in the world did you get out of that situation? He wouldn't say, well, I made a deal with God, or well, I willed this, or I did that, or I claimed this, or I claimed that. No. Read it. He says, salvation is of the Lord. And the Scripture says when he said that, when he said salvation is of the Lord, immediately the Lord spoke to the fish and it regurgitated him up. He threw him up. In the genealogy of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, four women are mentioned. One of them is Rahab the harlot. When the city of Jericho was destroyed, only one family was spared, and that was the family of Rahab the harlot. How was she saved? Well, James says she was saved by hiding the spies. The book of Hebrews says she was saved through faith. Both of them are true. But how did she come to be saved by faith? How did she come to be able to do some things to express her faith? Well, the Lord had, had Joshua send in some spies. And then the Lord providentially directed those spies to one unique house. And that was the house of, you, of Rahab the harlot. And the Lord saved Rahab the harlot by sending those spies directly to her house. She would have perished with the citizens of Jericho had not the Lord singled her out. Yes, she by faith believed, but she could not have been saved had the Lord not sent his messengers to her house. I've been picking a lot on Saul of Tarsus, but he's a good example. Saul of Tarsus, he was called, he was saved, and he was a man who was an enemy of Jesus Christ and an enemy of God's people, an enemy of God's church. And yet he who persecuted the church now preaches the Savior that he once despised. What happened to him? Here's his testimony. I'll tell you where it is and you can look it up, but in the interest of time we won't turn to it. It's in Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 and verses 13 and 14. Here's what Saul of Tarsus, the one we call the Apostle Paul, this is what he says. He says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel that was preached of me is not after man. What does that mean? It says, let me tell you, my brothers, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. Then he said, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, no man taught me this, no man showed this to me. It was Jesus Christ himself who revealed it to me. Verse 13, you've heard of my lifestyle and time past in the Jews' religion. 
How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. What that means is I did the best I could to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened to you? What happened? What caused the change in you? Here it is. Here it is. Galatians 1.15, when it pleased God, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. I looked that up in several versions. I like the English version. The English version translates it this way. God in His grace chose me even before I was born and called me to serve Him. When it pleased God. You know when a sinner will be saved? When it pleases God. You know when this or that and the other will happen? When it pleased God. When it pleased God in the process of time, He sent His own Son into the world to become the substitutionary offering for the, and the sacrifice for His people to redeem them. Now you will note when you hear such testimonies, testimony of Paul or Jonah or Rahab or any other person in the Scripture, in the Bible. I'm not talking about testimonial meetings in churches. I'm talking about these inspired testimonies that are in the Bible. You'll notice when you read any testimony, there is no mention whatsoever of what they did. But it's only of what the Lord did. They want everyone to know that the Lord was in control, not themselves. And this is an evidence, dear friends, of salvation by grace. The Lord did it is the testimony of every sinner in the Bible who was saved. I could take up your time and tell you about my own salvation, and I can tell you that I was not looking for the Lord. I was not looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, was, I grew up in a church when I was small, but as far as I know, I never heard anything. It was like water off of a duck's back. I don't remember hearing a thing. I remember Sunday school classes and all that, but I never heard a thing until it pleased God. And when it pleased God, He opened up my ears. He opened up my heart. He gave me an eye to see. He gave me a heart that, understand, uh, to, that could understand, and there was no going back. It is the Lord, and it is all of the Lord. And this is the thing that many people are afraid of in this doctrine of election. But I say, do we not want God to receive all of the glory? And this is the second reason that this doctrine is neglected. It's the same reason we glory in it. We want the Lord to receive all of the glory, and none of the glory goes to us. It teaches us that the Lord is behind everything. I tell you what, we'll take a little time, turn back to Romans chapter 10, because this is such a familiar passage of Scripture to all of you. Let's just look at this in the context of what I'm trying to say this morning. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, "...whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except it be sent? Now what is, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying this. He's saying that faith expresses itself through calling on the Lord for mercy. 
And then he says, you can't call upon a Savior or a God or a Lord that you've never heard of. And then he says, it's through another believer, another witness of some kind or someone that the one hears about the Savior. And he says, behind that, it's the Lord who sends that preacher or that witness or that believer to bear witness. And then he says, it's the Lord who prepares the ground of the heart for the seed of the word that is planted by that witness, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Lord who waters the seed and causes the planted seed to spring to life and to grow in the heart of that sinner who hears the truth of the gospel of the God of the Bible. That's exactly what he is saying right here. He's saying that God Almighty is behind it all. Charles Spurgeon was a young man of around 15 years of age when he came under heavy conviction that he was a lost sinner. His father was a pastor, and so was his grandfather. And he was convinced that he was under the judgment of God, and it was a cold winter morning in January. In fact, I believe it was on my birthday. It was on January the 6th. And he was on the way to a certain place, a certain church to worship, but the weather was so bitterly cold that he turned into a primitive Methodist chapel. And the weather was so bad that the pastor himself did not make it to church that day. And so an old deacon, Spurgeon said there were just a handful, maybe six, eight, ten, twelve people there. And he said, the old deacon said, well, you've all come to worship today, so I guess I can say a few words. And he took as his text Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And Spurgeon said he, he, he gave all he could about that. He said, listen, a baby can look, a child can look, Anyone can look. You don't have to be educated to look. He said, Jesus said, look at me. I'm your Savior. Look at me. I was born for you. Look at me. I'm on the cross dying for you. Look to me. I came out of the grave. Look to me. I've ascended into heaven, and I'm seated upon the right hand of all power. Look unto me. And he said, Spurgeon said, he looked back at me, and he said, young man, you look mighty miserable this morning. And he said, you're going to live in misery, and you're going to die in misery unless you look to Christ. But he said, if you look to Christ, he will manifest himself to you, and you'll be free from your bondage and from your judgment and from your sins. Spurgeon said, I looked until I thought I would look my eyes out. And he said, that was the day that I was converted. He said, only an hour before that, I went in a miserable, lost young man, and then at about 12.30, I was home again, a changed man. And he said, later, I looked back over that, and I thought, how in the world? What's behind all of this? He said, I intended to go somewhere else to worship, but the Lord sent a bad weather storm and turned me into the primitive Methodist church. And then he said, the pastor couldn't be that that day. How did that happen? And then this old deacon stood up. And then he said he took a text that was exactly suited for my need. How did that happen? And he said, I saw that behind my salvation was the hand of God. 
the hand of God was all behind my salvation, directed me the entire thing, and brought me to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, Spurgeon said this. I think I quoted this a couple of studies ago on the doctrine of election, and I quote him. He said, It is no novelty then that I am preaching. This is no new doctrine. I love to proclaim these strong old doctrines, which are surely and verily the revealed truth of God as it is in Christ Jesus. By this truth, he said, I make a pilgrimage into the past, and as I go, I see father after father, I see martyr after martyr standing up to shake hands with me, taking these things to be their standard and the standard of my faith. I see the land of the ancient people with brethren. I behold multitudes who confess that this is the religion of God's own church. The religion of a sovereign God who calls his people, calls whom he will. This doctrine sets forth the truth that the Lord is the author and the sustainer and the finisher of our faith and of our salvation and of all the people of God. The doctrine of election in the third place reveals that it is the will of the Lord that is responsible for my salvation and my calling and not my own will. Now, if you want to read these passages with me, you can turn hurriedly, but I, I'm going to read them. One is in John 1 and Romans, one is in Romans 9. So, you're already in Romans. You might want to look at the one in Romans 9. <clears throat> Regarding the biblical fact all the apostles and prophets agree that election reveals, our salvation reveals, it is the will of the Lord that is responsible for my salvation and my calling and not my own will. Here's what John says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. He was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Or how did they come to believe on his name? Whence were born, <clears throat> not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here's Paul's testimony in Romans chapter 9. He says this beginning in verse 13, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, listen now, so then this mercy, this salvation is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy." Jeremiah the prophet testified the following of his call to the ministry. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came forth out of the womb, <clears throat> I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. My dear friends, in the fourth place, the doctrine of election teaches us that the purpose and the plan of the Lord will not fail. Is it possible that the Lord, the God who created all things, can fail? 
Is it possible for the Lord of all the earth to have His will and His purpose and His plan overthrown? Let me ask you a question. Do you want a God whose will can be turned back by something or someone? I heard a man say this week on the radio that the will of God cannot be done unless the will of man is done. What did man's will have to do with the creation? Who was standing around the corner to advise God Almighty about how to create the world? All he has to do is turn over there to the Lord's questions to Job. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when, I, when the stars of God, the sons of God shouted for joy and I hung the planetary system? Where were you? All we have to do is look in the Scripture and just sit back and just naturally think just a little bit, and we'll know that even prophecy, prophecy, what is prophecy if not the foretelling of the will and the purpose of God? What did the will of man have to do with the birth of Christ? The Lord Jesus Christ was born on purpose. He was born on time to accomplish all that the Father had determined to be done. If the Father had elected a people, then the Son will purchase those people. And if the Son has purchased the people, then the Spirit will call those people. And we just read that a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like for you to turn back to Ephesians, if you will, from Romans. It's just over about 20 pages. And if you can't find it, look in the front of your Bible, and it'll tell you what page it's on, the book of Ephesians. The secret, here's the secret behind election. The secret behind election is the desire and the determination of God to have mercy upon a people. A number which no man can number of every tribe and nation and generation Every people, God has a people, and He's going to save them. And this is what this tells us. We read a little bit of it a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father. I've said this, what I'm going to tell you now. I've said this two or three dozen times, and let me say it again. The word blessed, I don't know what translation you have, but I'm reading from the King James Version in verse 3, blessed is the word from which we get our word eulogy. When you're in a funeral and you give the eulogy, the word eulogy, eulogos, eulogatos, I think it is, it means to say a good word about. So he says here, let's say a good word about God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, who has said a good word about us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The only place that God Almighty can say a good word about me is in His Son. Only in His Son. If He looks upon me out of His Son, then I'm fit for judgment. He can only say a good word about me in the Lord Jesus Christ. He desires to bless me, so what has He done? He has chosen us, verse 4. He has chosen us where? In Christ, before the foundation of the world. God does not live in time. Time lives in God. We just sang that a moment ago as Joshua led us. 
He says He has predestinated us. The word predestinate comes from a word pruhorizo. It means to set the horizon before time. You know, if you get on a bus and it says Charlotte, North Carolina, and you ask the driver, where is this bus going? He said, well, go around and look on the front of the bus. It says Charlotte. That's the destination. Predestination means your destination is set up before, just like the bus. It's predetermined. If you want to go to, to uh, Orlando, Florida, don't get on a bus that says Charlotte, North Carolina. He says that he has predestinated us unto adoption. He has adopted us as his children by Jesus Christ. Why did he do that? Verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. And this is all to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 6, he has made us accepted. You see, it is God who must accept us. I know people say accept Jesus, but you don't really accept Jesus. Jesus accepts you. And then when Jesus accepts you, then his Father accepts you because his Son has accepted you. To the praise of the glory of his grace, he's made us accepted in the Beloved. It's always in Christ. And then he says in verse 7, we have redemption in Christ. Redemption through His blood. Redeemed. A word that comes from the, word of, the world of slavery. He has paid a price and bought us off of the slave market. That's what redemption is. Through His blood, He paid the price by dying. The forgiveness of sins. He forgives us of our sins, all according to the riches of His grace. Then verse 8, He begins to teach us. He has abounded toward us in all wisdom, in all prudence. He makes known unto us the mystery of His will. And why does He do this? According to His good pleasure, which He has purposed in Himself. That in this dispensation of times, this is what he has in mind for the future. He's going to gather together all things in one, all things that are in Christ, both in heaven and in earth. Verse 11, he says, we have obtained an inheritance. I've got a lot in heaven. It's assigned to me. I've got a seat in heaven. Been assigned to me, an inheritance. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's this inheritance. Now, how did we get this inheritance? Here it is again, verse 11. It was predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works most things after the counsel of His own will. How many of you have that translation? He works most things. Nobody has that translation. He says He works all things. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. Well, where is faith? Well, verse 13, in whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth. How did you hear the word of truth? He sent it to you. He crossed your path with the word of truth. He sent somebody to you and sent you to somebody. He crossed your path with the word of truth, which is the gospel, the good news of your salvation. And after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. The word earnest here, verse 14, is the down payment, the earnest money. You want to buy that house? You want to buy that automobile? Yes, sir. Well, how about a little earnest money? Well, the earnest money, the down payment of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. 
until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. In other words, God has determined to bless a people, a people which no man can number. My friends, election doesn't mean just a small number. In fact, there are many, many good theologians that believe the majority of the human race. When you think about infants, what about infants? If Christ died for those infants, all of those millions and millions and millions of infants will also, they'll all populate heaven. I don't know about the heathen. You say, what about the heathen? I don't know. All I do know is this, I trust the Lord. And as Abraham said, the judge of all the earth should do right. If he brought everything together to start with, it's no big deal for him to bring back together those who have, dead, who have died at sea, those who have been blown apart in war, all of those things. That's not a big thing for the God who created all things. But here's the secret. If God had not elected a people, no one would be saved. The reason election must be true if any person is to be saved is because, are you in Ephesians? All men are dead in trespasses and sins. Look at verse chapter 2, chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Here's an old confession. It's called the Heidelberg Confession. Question number six, did God create man wicked and perverse? Answer, by no means. God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Question number seven, whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? Answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence, our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived <clears throat> and born in sin. Question number eight. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Answer, indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. What did the Lord tell Adam would happen to him? What did he say, Adam, this is going to happen to you if you eat the fruit of the forbidden tree? You all know that. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Isn't that right? Now, man died the moment he took that fruit. But then the spirit of death settled into his body. And it takes a few years for death to get to our bodies, but eventually the body will die. Why does the body die? Because of spiritual death. How did spiritual death happen? Because our first parent, Adam, disobeyed and brought death. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and then it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so this death spoken of here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 
This is that being dead in trespasses and sins. I'm not going to take the time to, to mention all of these, but let me tell you some ways that the Bible describes a man. It says, man, all human beings are spiritually blind. It says, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. It says, their lips are like vipers, they're poisonous. He says, they're liars by nature. He says, the throat is like an open grave. He said, he worships the belly. He worships his belly. The feet are misguided. The mind is opposed to God. The mind is filled with evil desires, blinded by Satan, full of pride and corruption. The conscience is defiled. The heart is deceitful. It's set up evil. It's full of lust. It values the wrong things. It says the affections are vile, inordinate, and disgraceful. All of this characterized man by nature. He says, we sin by nature, we're vile by nature, we're children of wrath by nature, we're deceitful by nature, we're hostile toward God. Oh yeah, people, are, they like a God that does what they want them to do, but not a God that's in control. We're alienated from God. The nature of man is compared to beasts. We're compared to a snake because of its venom, to a mule because of his stubbornness, to a bear because of its cruelty, to a dog and a sow because of its uncleanness, to a fox because of its cunningness, a leopard because of its fierceness, a lion because of its ravening, to a wolf because of its ferociousness, to a locust because of its destructiveness, and to sheep because of their stupidity. All of this is in man. In man is the absence of original righteousness and the presence of of positive evil. All men have a natural bent toward evil rather than good. You think we all like to share things? Just take a toy and put it in a room of several children and see what happens. One toy. What happens? It's me, mine, I'll poke your eye out to get that toy over there. You have to teach your children to be polite. You have to teach them to other, let others go before them. You have to teach them that. Why? Because their nature is bent toward themselves and not toward doing what God wants us to do. So what I want you to see is that the secret behind election is the Lord loving us and choosing us and sending His Son to pay for us and then His Spirit to call us to faith. Now, lastly, as I close out, I would like you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 1. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 1, and let's take one more look at these passages of Scripture. If the Lord did not take the initiative, no soul would be saved. And I don't know of a better place to illustrate this than Isaiah chapter 1. The prophet Isaiah, is he has been warning Jerusalem... Jerusalem was the, the capital of Judah, of Israel rather, and he's been warning, uh, been warning Jerusalem, uh, warning all of these places about the judgment of God. And he tells them this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3. He says, The ox knows his owner, and the donkey knows his master's crib. But Israel doesn't know. 
my people don't consider. Ah, sinful nation. Now listen, if Israel is a sinful nation, if the people in Israel, if the citizens of Israel are sinful, they had the law, they had the prophecies, they had all of that. What do you think of the Gentiles? We are far, far worse off. They are worse off because they had the law and still rejected it. But we are far worse off by nature than they were. They had some light from God through Moses. Sinful nation, verse 4, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they're gone back always. My friends, I don't know what you think of all these things, but I'll tell you this, I believe that nothing happens in God's world without God's permission. I believe that the hand of the Lord is in the coronavirus. I believe the hand of the Lord is in it. You say, well, is judgment coming to America? Judgment is on America. Judgment is upon this nation. These are just little small judgments warning us about the big judgments that are coming. Right now, we have something like 60% of families in this nation are single-parent families. Now we are glorifying people get on television and talk about their third and fourth child and they've never bothered to get married. And now we're going to change what's normal. If you're a normal person or if you live by standards that are biblical standards, even though you may not be a Christian, If you live by the standards that have been biblical, now you're being looked upon increasingly as abnormal. And that which is abnormal is being looked upon as normal. And now, as I've been warning for 15 to 20 years, now it's going to become a hate crime just to teach the Scripture. It's going to become a hate crime. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to limit us to just the building. They're going to say, now you can say what you want to in that building, but when you walk out those doors out there, no, no, you're in the public out there. Now you're under the government, and you're under this and that and the other, and you can't say those things out there. You can't believe those things out there. You can't practice those things out there. If you have a, a, a bakery, as we all know about this case, and someone comes in who is a, a homosexual couple and they want you to make them a cake and you say, well, we don't make cakes for homosexual couples, you can be shut down. And your churches are going to lose their tax-deductible status so that your gift to a church that discriminates, and that's going to be called discrimination, your, your gifts will no longer be tax-deductible to that particular church. This is where we're headed. Because we're turning things upside down. Now let me say this. The only reason anybody's saved, I keep saying this, is because of God's election. Look at what the prophet Isaiah says about these citizens of Jerusalem. Watch it now. He says, I've stricken you, verse 5. Why should I strike you? Why should I chastise you? Why should I deal with you anymore? You just revolt more and more. The more I deal with you, the more you revolt. Something like AIDS comes upon us and people scream and holler and say, we want an antidote for AIDS. We want a, 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 a why? That's so we can practice the lifestyles that brought it without the consequences. 
That's what we want. We want vaccines and things that will prevent the consequences of what we have done and brought upon ourselves. Always remember this. You can do what you want to. You can do like you want to. But your choices have consequences. Remember that. Those consequences will come. That's the reason I have problems right now physically because of things that I've done in the past. There's just so many things you can do and do it so long after a while. <coughs> gravity pulling down on a, a human body begins to wear things out. Now watch what he says now. He says you just revolt more and more, verse 5. He said the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. That you're crazy in the head. You don't know God. You don't want to know Him. And you don't understand that all of these things that are coming, these things are to get your attention and make you look up to Him. No, you don't want that. Verse 6, from the sole of the foot unto the head, there's no soundness in it. There's, this is the way the Lord sees us. There are wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. What a terrible description. Sores that are just oozing over with pus, putrefying sores. They have not been closed. They have not been bound up. They have not been mollified with ointment. He says, your country is desolate, verse 7. <clears throat> your cities are burned with fire. Sounds like Washington State and Oregon, doesn't it? Your land, the strangers devour it in your presence. We've got people coming into the nation that are strangers and are citizens. Citizens are deprived of their rights, while strangers who are not citizens are given all the rights that citizens ought to be given. Let me ask you this. What's the point of being a citizen? It's no big deal now to be a citizen, is it? He says, and strangers devoured in your presence, and it's desolate and overthrown by strangers. All right, let's get down to verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left us a small remnant, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Unless the Lord had chosen some people and called them, we'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Nobody would be saved. Everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Only one person, Lot, and his two daughters were delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. Even his wife was not delivered because she looked back. And she looked back because that's where her heart still was. She was physically out of the city, but her heart was still in the city. And they warned them, don't look back. And that's what I'm warning you this morning as your brother in Christ. Don't be looking back to where you've been. You've been delivered from it. The Lord has delivered you from it. Don't go back to it. Are you going to be like the sow that was washed that will return to the wallowing in the mire? You'll be like the dog that regurgitated it, goes back up, and eats it back up. Don't do it. Don't go back. Keep going forward. Keep looking to Christ, looking out there to Him. And one of these days, He's going to come and we'll be delivered. The secret behind election is the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion of God because unless He saved somebody and chose somebody, everybody would perish in their sin. May the Lord add His blessings on the teaching of His Word. Where is the place you can hide? Well, we read today Isaiah chapter 42 in which the Lord Jesus Christ is called the elect of God. My servant, mine elect. 
If you're hiding in him, you're safe. If you run to him, you're safe. Don't hide in your church membership. Don't try to hide in you. I've been a pretty good boy, a pretty good girl, a pretty good mom, pretty good dad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. <clears throat> I wasn't a Hitler and a Stalin. Let me tell you what the gospel says. The gospel says that nobody is good enough that they do not have to be saved, and nobody is bad enough that they can't be saved. That's what the gospel says. The worse you are, the more glory the Lord, the great physician, gets from saving you. Look to Christ. Close with Christ. Come to Christ. Confess Christ. He is the elect of God, and everybody that's elected is elected in Him. Everybody is elected in Him. All right, let's stand together and praise the Lord. By the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, where we're saved. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, Father, I ask your blessings upon this congregation. I ask your blessings upon every person that's here. Those who belong to Christ, bless them. Bless their going out and their coming in. Increase their knowledge and understanding and love for him. Those who do not know the Lord, bless them with your salvation. Put it in their hearts that they may call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And pray, Father, that your blessings will be upon us as we part from this place. We thank you for this time you've given us to come together and sing praises to your name and learn a little bit more about you and about our Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the God of the everlasting covenant make you perfect, and work in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
在